Hey everyone, Clay here. It is Friday the 13th, 2022, and we thought it would be fun to release the first episode of last year's Patreon coverage of the Friday the 13th series here on the main feed so you all can celebrate appropriately. And if you'd like to hear our coverage of the rest of the series from Friday the 13th Part 2 all the way through to the 2009 remake, those episodes can be found on patreon.com slash thepenskefile. Thanks for the support and enjoy a Friday the 13th. Hey everyone, welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about movies generally, we usually talk about movies <laughs> off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Greatest Horror Films of All Time list, but as this is our Patreon special, we wanted to do Ooh. something that is not covered at all, not represented on the list whatsoever. There are many franchises that are represented, but this is not one of them. Of course, I'm joined by, by I'm joined by Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm okay. You remember my name? I do. I do. I can't remember where I am, but I remember who you are. So, <laughs> good. One good. check mark. Um, we will be covering. This is the first in our series of covering the entirety of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Um, I looked it up uh, to see what the rating, the Rotten Tomato score was for Friday the Thirteenth. Because mm-hmm. uh, I figured, you know, I, th- the way that this list works, you'd think bananas. at least the first one would make it, right? Yeah. You know, just on like zeitgeist alone, because there seems mm-hmm. to be, st- that seems to have some implication as to as to how uh, these things are ranked. Um, no. And more <laughs> importantly, none of the other ones will be on the list either, because this first movie we're covering, Friday the 13th, the original, Rotten Tomatoes score of 64%. It's the only one in the series oh, wow. above 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. I am shocked. I kind of am too, because I mean, like, it, I, these have to be older reviews that are based on older reviews that are not taking into account, like, cultural uh, reconsideration and stuff. Because yeah. I know a lot of people who uh, consider part two to be the best of them, and part two mm. has a 27% Rotten Tomato score. Oh, wow. Wow, that's really low. Yeah. And even <laughs> and even Fr- uh, Freddy vs. Jason has a 41% score. And I what? mean, come on. That's at, least yeah. a, that's at least a 60%. That movie's great. <laughs> but we'll get to that when we cover it. I am... I am just I'm I'm blown away by the ratings for the, for this entire franchise. Like I could even forgive the sequels and the the later movies having lower ratings, but the fact that this, the first one, the original, the, the everybody knows this movie. Like even if you haven't yeah. actually seen it, you know references to it. I would argue 
that the mo- there's a lot of movies on the list that don't get there without this movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And we can get into that as we get into the movie. Um, yeah. And even the remake. The remake, I, I feel like, is, is actually fairly well regarded. And that has 26% huh. Rotten Tomato score, which, I, I mean, that just seems... That just seems like they're being mean. I haven't seen the remake, so I can't I can't speak to that one. But I also well, just find it... You haven't seen it <laughs> well, yet. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I find it interesting. I don't mean to, like, jump the gun, but... No, please do. Uh, I, I am somebody who, if, if people have listened to earlier episodes of this podcast, you would know this about me. I love the movie Halloween, the original. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I enjoy several of the sequels. Um, I cannot tell you how many people, when I say, when they're like, oh, what's your favorite, like, classic horror movie, how, you know, slasher flick, whatever. And I say Halloween, 100%, all the way. So many people are like, not Friday the 13th? Friday the 13th's better. Yeah. I'm just those so people confused. Are, those people Where are, are those people? wrong. <laughs> and that's well, they're wrong, f- but they're also clearly not using Rotten Tomatoes. That's true. And I mean, the one thing that we do know is that Rotten Tomatoes is the be-all, end-all of movie ranking and should be regarded as such. <laughs> yes, it's the definitive uh, resource for exactly how good or bad a film is. Yes, yes. So um, what, what's your history with this franchise? Because I think, I think the thing that's going to be really interesting about this, and we're going to do one of these, one a month, which is going to work out really well because there is... It's so frustrating that there's only 12 of these movies. <laughs> like, get it together, guys. Do one more and just make the, 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 that part of my brain, the completest part of my brain, not crack every time I think about it. Yeah, um, yeah and, you, and there's so many great opportunities for ways to play with the, with the name, like, the, like what to name the film. Yeah, F1313. Yeah. Right. Just call it uh, Friday. Yeah, that would be that would be confusing with that other series that's called Friday. Um, but yeah, I I am not a huge and never have been a huge Friday the Thirteenth fan. Um, mm. I actually for a long time my favorite movie in the series was Jason Goes to Hell, which I'm sure will cause a lot of people to just like groan, groan and 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 vomit. But because uh, it's not. Because it's not, you know, it's not a traditional Friday the 13th movie. And I think that's kind of why I liked it. Because by the time it came mm. out, that, that that formula was kind of played out. So I thought it was kind of fun that they went a different route, I guess. But um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I I am not a huge, a, a huge fan of these movies. But I do respect them for what they are and the place that they that they uh, uh, occupy in, in horror movie history. But you are more yeah. of a fan of them than I am, I think, right? I so I enjoy them for for what they are, mm-hmm. but I don't have the. They're almost just kind of like fun and funny to me. Sure, sure. Like when when I watch them, it's not necessarily because I'm in the mood to watch a scary movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like I typically I watch, I typically watch Friday the Thirteenth usually sometime over the summer. It's like a very like summer movie to me sure. i just kind of put it on in the background it's like you know i don't know but uh, so it's interesting because i think for me one of the reasons why this 
this particular film and this whole franchise never really hit for me the way it does for some people is that I knew the twist before I saw sure. it. Sure, yeah, yeah. Because the movie Scream <laughs> mm-hmm. ruins it for you. Mm-hmm. Sure does. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, yeah, that it's it is one of those. Fr- <laughs> that's one of the things I am looking forward to talking about is um, because it's it's one of those things when you get into horror movies like the first thing. The the first thing you learn is that Jason was not the killer in the first Friday the Friday the Thirteenth movie. You know, uh-huh. uh huh. That's that's the first time your mind is blown as a horror movie fan is when somebody tells you that, or you watch it and you find that out. And yeah, it is preferably the, the second option, <laughs> right? And it is the well, it's usually the kind of thing I've I've found it's the kind of thing where people say it as kind of like a uh, well, you know that Jason's not the killer in the first one, right? Like it's a point of of um, what's the word I'm looking for superiority in like in like mm-hmm. trivia kind of thing it could mm-hmm. be kind of like that um but it is the first step in what is the most clumsy handoff into a franchise that i can think of yeah um <laughs> and honestly one of the things that always put me off about this series and it <laughs> it puts me off about halloween as well but somehow Halloween, I think, has worse movies overall because the, the Friday movies are, are kind of uh, – they're all very similar and they're all kind of fun in the same way. The Halloween mm. movies I've always felt like are are trying to do something interesting, but they just fail at it miserably. And they I think are that's not... why I like them more, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, like, I, I enjoy seeing the attempt. Like, like the fact that there is a little more thought behind – some of the Halloween franchise mm. movies. Um, I appreciate that they are attempting to go somewhere with them at least. Whereas, yeah, the Friday movies are kind of just like, we've found our formula and we're sticking to it. Yeah. And the, I think the thing that really kills the Halloween franchise for me kind of <laughs> is, is <laughs> yes, um, is similar to this franchise for me in that the look of Jason is very very Mm. inconsistent and they don't really everybody kind of has their favorite i guess but i've never thought that he looks particularly really good until i watched through these movies a couple years ago and i realized Mm. they didn't really figure it out until part eight which is the last one and generally the worst one but he looks amazing in that movie and i have the same problem with halloween halloween if you don't nail the mask the whole thing falls apart like it just it does not work for me whatsoever if you don't get the look of that mask and the look of uh Michael Myers correct and as as far as i'm concerned they only got it right twice which was in the original <laughs> one and the most recent uh-huh. one uh, yeah i i think i think i'm a little less sensitive to sort of maintaining a very specific appearance for the lead villain if you will mm mm-hmm. mhm um, I think the franchise where it actually really bothers me is the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and, really? and Freddy. That's interesting because I feel the yeah. exact opposite. Yeah. I don't know. I just I feel like Freddy is so Freddy is so specific looking because it's actually his face. Mm. And so when that changes, like I, it's just kind of weird. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Like how did he change his anyway? 
Whereas with, with Jason and Michael Myers, they're wearing masks. So you can kind of logic your way into like, oh, it, he, he needed a replacement mask or, you know, it, it's weathered <laughs> over the years and things yeah. like that. I do. I do appreciate, though, that after part four, the mask is consistent in where it's been damaged and where it's been weathered. I do appreciate that. Oh, I don't think I noticed. I don't think yeah, because he gets chopped in the head. Um, I think in the fourth one, and at from that oh. point on, there's always a, a, a machete chop in the corner of the of the mask. Oh, that's that's a cool detail. I like that. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's tough because in J- in Friday the Thirteenth, they always have somebody different play until Kane Hodder comes around. You you always have somebody different playing Jason, which brings mm. a different level of physicality to it that may or may not work for you, um, and a different look, and the clothing that they wear is different, and so it's I guess it, it's nice because everybody can kind of have their favorite, or if you're like me, you don't like any of them until the worst one. But <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling it you, it gives you something fo- to be mad about. The photography in Jason Takes Manhattan. The photography of Jason is fantastic, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to watching it. But anyway, before we get there, we have to start at the beginning all the way back in 1980 with Friday the 13th. So we're going to take a quick break, play the trailer, and uh, then we'll talk about it. Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? One. Friday the 13th, 
1980, directed by Sean Cunningham, written by Victor Miller, starring Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Kevin Bacon, and the slippery, sanguine stylings of Tom Savini SFX. <laughs> wow. I know. I worked hard on that one. Um, yeah. Amanda, what happens in Friday the 13th? Crystal Lake's history of murder doesn't deter counselors from setting up a summer camp in the woodsy area. Superstitious locals warn against it, but the fresh-faced young people, Jack, Alice, Bill, Marcy, and Ned, pay little heed to the old-timers. Then they find themselves stalked by a brutal killer. As they're slashed, shot, and stabbed, the counselors struggle to stay alive against a merciless opponent. Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) So, Clay, Mm. some of the things you're going to find in this movie include... Yes. uh, Steve Christie, the original Never Nude. Yeah, that's a great... I don't don't know if there's a modern version of that look where he's just got the pants on, but that's the the Never Nude is probably the closest you're going to get. I think that's the the closest analog we have to it. And is he wearing Uh, that? He's wearing that when he's being, like, creepy with her, right? And, like, brushing her hair? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just really really trying to let his chest hair do the work of that seduction, I guess. Yeah, and the mustache, of course. Yes. Yes. Uh, A really comfortable-looking cable-knit murder sweater. It looks so warm. Like, I imagine... It looks real cozy. I believe they were shooting this movie in, like, September or something, so it was pretty cold where they were, so she must have just been very comfortable the whole time, I can just have to assume. Yeah, the the only woman on set at a reasonable temperature. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Cultural insensitivity. You're going to find it everywhere around here, so you may as well embrace it, I guess. Yeah, it's not even really worth trying to to name a specific scene. There's a a lot. (laughs) casual terrible old hollywood impressions surprisingly a lot like i Uh, yeah this is not a thing i ever thought i'd have to be concerned with yeah i feel like um the comedy of this movie is written by someone who doesn't really know what being funny is so (laughs) or like what teens do yeah that's probably more specifically that but it 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 feels very much like comedy written by your dad or something uh, being outclassed athletically by an old lady. She does a lot. She throws. I swear. She throws a a fully grown woman through the window of the kitchen of a cabin. I. Yeah. She's got that angry mom Hulk Hulk strength, I guess. All adrenaline all the time. Uh, Kevin Bacon, but not nearly enough bacon bits. Oh, Amanda. <laughs> Keep it, hey, keep it hey. in your speedo, Jesus! <laughs> you wrote that one, okay? You are married. You are married. It's fine. He'd be fine with Kevin Bacon too. Uh, and this one, this one's my contribution. Excellent parenting. Excellent parenting. Excellent. Well, much like the twist in this movie, I bet you weren't expecting that from the show. <laughs> Look, this movie is about a truly devoted mother. It really is. It, that is really yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. A mother's um, love for her child. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about this for me is uh, if you look at the pedigree of this movie, because I think that's a good place to start. Mm. Um, 
self-admitted, the, the writer, Victor Miller, said uh, one day Sean Cunningham called him up and said, Halloween's making a lot of money. Let's rip it off. <laughs> and so that's what they that did. love that honesty. Yeah, and Victor Miller said, so he went to see Halloween. He took a bunch of notes of what you need to make a horror movie, and then he just he found the formula, and then he just made his own, and it seemed to work. Um, but I think it's I think it's giving short shrift to some things where uh, that th- that came before this, because you've got Halloween, but honestly, I think there's a lot more Black Christmas in this movie than people get, give it credit for. Whether yeah. it's the um, uh, what am I? What am I looking for here? Whether it's the point, completely point of view shot killer, which they do in Halloween a bit, but not to the point, not to the extent that they do in Black Christmas. Right. Um, you've also got the fact that they really don't give you anything as far as information about why people are being killed or who's being killed or who's doing the killing. Um, mm-hmm. They they give you more in this movie than they give you in in Black Christmas, but even, but here they they play a lot, they play stuff closer to the vest in this than they do in Halloween. Yes, in a much more similar way to Black Christmas. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's also a movie by uh, Mario Bava, an Italian great Italian um, horror filmmaker, called Bay of Blood, which is shockingly similar to this. There's actually it actually oh. even contains I think one or at least one kill that is almost shot for shot the same. Um, really? Yeah, I was thinking about if if not if not doing Bay of Blood as a wild card on the regular show, I was thinking about maybe having that be the 13th episode of this show just cuz I'd I'd be interested mm. to to go back and watch that again like academically and compare it to this. Yeah, um, that sounds interesting. Yeah, but and and you've also got the the entire Italian giallo sub uh, subgenre, which I think this is born of. This mm. feels to me like the true American streamlining of all. And I, I'm sorry, I didn't even mention Psycho. <laughs> the music is basically <laughs> oh just God. like Psycho. What if it was the shower scene music, but for the whole movie? Yes, <laughs> um, that's that's that sounds dismissive, but be uh, of Henry Henry Manfredini, the composer. He does write really nice music for these movies but it, i mean it's clear where the inspirations are coming from yeah um and uh, even carrie we talked about that when we were talking when we were doing carrie the, the end of mm-hmm. this movie doesn't play out the way it does without carrie yeah um but this is really the uh american homogenization and and streamlining of those uh horror concepts into something that is punchy it is <laughs> short and it works. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is mass market capitalism at its best. And it's terrifying. <laughs> One of the things that they've carried over that they pulled out of of this research that they did is the uh the idea of taking something that is fairly benign generally whether it's um you know college uh, a college sorority in Black Christmas or Mm-hmm. the suburban street in Halloween. In this case, you've got a summer camp and they just throw that through the uh, nothing, nowhere is safe ringer. Yeah. 
it's yeah. a nice it's a nice change. It's a nice inversion, and I think it's uh, it's a uh, it's a good place to start, or it's a good it's a good setting for a movie like this. Yeah, I mean, it's this beautiful idyllic. I mean, the whole the whole area, even the little town that she uh, that uh, Annie, I think it is at the beginning, the girl. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's kind of like a little old middle of nowhere town, but like it's very pretty. There's like big bright greenery everywhere people are kind of standoffish but they're generally friendly and nice somebody gives her a ride i um i i love that uh, crazy ralph shows up and <laughs> he gives ralph. her the you're all gonna die speech and the guy who gives yeah. annie a ride completely brushes him off and then while yeah. they're driving he gives her like an even more intense version of the story <laughs> uh, right right because now it's it's coming from a relatively sane person and not right, just the right. crazy man on his bicycle um, but yeah, the, the setting is just, you know, they get to the camp and the lake is pristine and the trees are beautiful and there's bird song and like the crickets and the frogs are always kind of croaking. It's, it's very, very beautiful. It's very like idyllic summer vacation kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, I think, I think setting it at a summer camp also adds in, it's, it's this interesting, uh, level of. Um, increased stakes that are there implicitly but never actually pay off because you assume that well there's that means there's theoretically kids involved even though kids i don't think i don't think kids show up in these movies at all until the fifth one at least oh wow (laughs) at least at least not like camp kids anyway right um but you know yeah but sorry go ahead Oh, just like I get what you're saying. Like if you're if you're watching this, say the for the first time back when it came out, you you don't know that. You might think that at some point in this movie, children are going to show up. <laughs> right. So right. yeah, there's that added anxiety kind of hanging over your head. Um, do you think? Not to jump to like a, a big overall uh, critique of it right away, but. Hmm. You know, you were saying that you put this on generally as sort of like a fun kind of movie, whatnot, and you think it doesn't, um, you think knowing the twist kind of hurt it. Do you think this movie still works in the 21st century? That's an interesting question because I, I'm not really sure. I, I think, I think when you watch it now as a modern viewer it just feels so distant Mm. um it feels like such a bygone era like like even when you know i was looking at this and i realized that it came out in 1980 i was kind of shocked Mm. um i i really thought it was older than that yeah it feels Um, it feels that way yeah yeah it's like it's very clear they kind of modeled they modeled it more on the 70s horror movies that had were its predecessors rather than trying to push the envelope into something more modern. They, they mm-hmm. even just aesthetically, like I know it was 1980. So probably when it was filmed, it was, you know, still 79 or whatever, but it just doesn't feel like it's trying to be more modern than like in a lot of ways, black Christmas feels more modern because at least there's a phone. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so in in this, it's tough because when you watch it now, it's just so far from (laughs) current reality. Like, even the fact that these these people are probably, you know, the kids are probably, what, 18, 19, maybe? 
in movie um, age, yes, they're probably older than in real life. Though. Oh yeah, yeah, no, of course. Um, <clears throat> but could you imagine, like, you know, she's hitchhiking, and <laughs> right. they're all they're all going to work this job that, I mean, they're all like there's there's a couple people here and there who you know are friends, um, Kevin Bacon and his girlfriend and Ned show show up together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, where did these people find out about this job? When they found out about it, had they met the owner before? It doesn't seem like it. They just showed up to this place in the middle of nowhere. Um, and the setup just starts to feel very uh, unbelievable when you're looking at it through like a more modern lens. And yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot about this movie that like I enjoy, but I don't think it works as well now as it probably did when it came out. Mm. Well, I mean, it's a timeless film because as we see right at the beginning after the, oh. the, the cold open in 1958, <laughs> the next date it says is present day, which the present. means the present, yes. Um, yeah, it's I, I, I think I feel like it works in some areas better than others. And I think the biggest detriment to it is... Even more so, like as I was saying, this is this movie's kind of like the the uh, crystallization of all of these other, for lack of a better term, let's say better or um, maybe <laughs> headier horror movies that are that are going around. Sure. Um, this is the one that the tropes are built off of. You can look back at Halloween, but it's like, well, okay, I can see where that stuff comes from, but it's not all quite there. You can look back at Black Christmas and you go, oh, actually, Black Christmas is actually kind of progressive as far yeah. as that stuff goes and doesn't really fall into the general uh, horror slasher tropes. And But this one, when people make fun of that stuff or when people reference that stuff, generally it's in reference to this movie. Like this is the one mm. where that stuff crystallizes. Um, no pun intended for the lake they're on. <laughs> and I wonder if a big part of it is it has that sort of thing where like when you adapt something, like when you adapt a novel that's never been really directly adapted, but people have kind of stripped the good ideas out of it into more well-known stuff, like, you know, whether it's, Star Wars taking all the stuff out of John Carter or Flash Gordon or something like that. When you mm. finally adapt the original, you kind of go, "Nah, I've seen all this before." I wonder if I wonder if it doesn't work for that reason now because it has birthed an entire uh, uh, structure, really, uh, an entire uh, um, world of, of of horror movie structure that has been inverted redone subverted etc 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 that's an interesting point because yeah this movie does kind of spawn its own subgenre um yeah in a lot Uh, of ways like it sorry i don't mean to cut you off but um we 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 talked about it when we covered a couple years ago when we covered um nightmare on elm street which we'll we'll be putting out at some point when we get to it on our show Mm -hmm. um by the time Nightmare on Elm Street comes out in 1984. There's been four of these, and it has already set off this slasher movie boom from the early 80s where you just had people ripping this off and ripping it off and ripping it off and ripping it off. (laughs) Ripping off the ripoff. Right. 
but yeah, it does like even it's interesting this it kind of makes me think of like Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Where which is a movie that plays a lot with the idea that like these characters can be put in these very specific boxes that are almost like it's almost like tradition to have like one of each type of character. Mm. And it's interesting because as much as this movie kind of spawned that and a lot of the tropes and the stereotypes, it doesn't actually like do it that explicitly in the movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ned is kind of a, kind of a goon and a goof, but he's not considered a nerd, you know, like he's a little bit of a weirdo, but they're all still friends with him. And like, he's not really like an outcast from the group. And not Alice as much Jeff- as, not as much as say like uh, Franklin in uh, Texas Chainsaw. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and then like Alice is a little more reserved than the other girls, but she's not like the virgin prude she's like you know she's wearing her tiny bikini too and it's heavily implied that she and the camp owner steve christie maybe spent the night together right yeah yeah wait we're not sure he does say she draws a picture of him and and he says "Ah, is that what i look like and she said that's what you look like last night and i don't it's it's not (laughs) it's not clear whether it's like a a uh a casual hanging out last night or more of like a Frankie Valley last night. No, they don't really get into that. <laughs> I I think, I think it's pretty heavily implied that it's yeah. more of like a Frankie Valley last night. Yeah. They at um, least made out. I think the way that he's yeah. the, the based on how familiar he, he's being with her, it seems like something happened. Oh yeah. And he calls her, he calls her pretty at one point or, or beautiful or something. Well, girls love then, that though. Yeah. <laughs> You should just call call the girls that you employ that all the time. Yeah, you just um, touch. They love it when you say that, and then you touch their hair while you're just, not wearing a shirt. Gently pet their hair. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, and he's trying to like convince her to stay, and mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's there's definitely something that was going on there. So she's not this like innocent virginal character, and the other girls aren't like you know you, you see uh, is it is it marcy is that <laughs> kevin bacon's girlfriend sure um but like you know you see them have sex but it's clear from the beginning that they're actually in a committed relationship and after they have sex they're clearly still very in love like right right it's not framed as this like oh she's a slept and now she should die like i don't know it's interesting it's interesting that those tropes originate so strongly from this movie but aren't as explicitly expressed in this one Mm. i wonder if because i'm not remembering any of the sequels that i've seen very clearly i wonder if those solidify even further as you go through the franchise well one of the things that i'm looking forward to talking about actually as we go through is how the cliche of the final girl that I think does get lumped into this movie quite a bit or this franchise is mm-hmm. not really explicitly displayed the way that that it is in uh in a more stereotypical way like um mm. Alice is like you said Alice is not she's she's probably the 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess she's not really explicitly any more prudish than anybody else. I mean, she's playing strip yeah. strip Monopoly, which sounds like the most boring <laughs> fucking game I can think of. And she's smoking pot with everybody, and you know, it's not yeah. like she's yeah, she's, she's cracking a open a beer. She's, yeah, she's like she's down for it, whatever. And in the second one, if I remember correctly, Ginny, the main character, is very explicitly. I don't mean explicitly like you know, they're showing it happen or anything mm-hmm. but she's pretty explicitly in a relationship with the guy who's fixing the camp up um mm. so it's not like she's the and she's a very uh more outgoing sort of capable character than than alice is so she's not really the virgin wallflower the third one it's heavily implied that the girl in the third one was like sexually assaulted by jason at some point oh I, if I remember it correctly, um, yikes! And you know, so it's like I think I think too much weight gets put on that generally, um, yeah. Or at least the movies that followed the, these ones uh, decided to lean more into that than this series does. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see how this franchise is sort of the ground zero for that stuff, but also doesn't do it the way it it becomes traditionally known. Yeah, totally. And I think one of the things that I actually really like about this, and I do think works really well, is um, also sort of a lift from Psycho, where I don't think, I think they do a good job of not making it clear who the main character is until Mm. people start getting picked off. Because they, after the, um, the opening flashback, your entire focus is on Annie. And so you kind of assume that she's going to be the final, the the girl who makes it or that she's the focus of the movie. So she's going to be the one who you're following through the story, which is very much not the case. And Mm -hmm. even when they get to everybody else, they don't zero in on Alice quite that much. You kind of get everybody a little bit, a little bit everybody at the same time. So it's not really clear as it's going who's going to be the one who survives. And I think that element actually works really well still. Yeah, I, I actually think it works really well, too, for for the reasons that you mentioned. But also because when you watch it as a modern day viewer, the only actor you're going to know is Kevin Bacon. Right, right. And so I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, okay. Because, you know, you see Annie and then it switches to, um, I'm just going to keep calling him Kevin Bacon. That's fine. Uh, Kevin Bacon and Ned and Marcy in their truck. And so Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I saw it when it it makes that move and it goes to them driving to the camp. I was like, oh, okay. Kevin Bacon's the lead in this movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then he's not. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh. Well, that was, I remember that being more surprising for me than the twist of who's the killer. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, as the series goes, they it's it's clear from, from the jump who the main character is going to be. And so you're, it's pretty clear who's going to survive. Um, but, yeah, I think huh. they do a nice job of, of, of keeping it kind of uh, ambiguous as to who's, who's going to survive, if anybody. It reminds me a little bit of... I think they do that fairly well in Evil Dead as well. Because if you don't know, if you're going into Evil Dead and you don't know who Bruce Campbell is and you don't know that he's the Mm -hmm. star of the franchise, Mm -hmm. there's no reason to expect him to be the one who makes it out of that movie alive. Because he's just kind of like a guy in the background for most of it until everybody else goes nuts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
I mean, Alien Alien is the one for me that is like, it epitomizes this kind of style. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, of, yeah like bringing you into this um, kind of cast of characters and not really clearly situating with you with one person to focus on as an audience and instead just sort of as the group gets pared down over time the person who is probably or hopefully going to survive emerges yeah 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 you know i think one of the other reasons why this the other things that makes this movie still work in certain ways is weirdly the fact that it is the outlier from the rest of the series because it is very different um, mm. because you've got this, uh, it, as the series goes, it really starts to switch into more of like a bastardized Michael Myers situation where mm. Jason, Jason is the focus as much as anybody else is, if not more. And you're watching him doing the stalking. You're seeing him going after people. You're seeing him go through the woods and, and, and whatnot. Whereas in this one, it's not the, the the killer you're expecting because Jason wasn't the concept at this point. And the focus isn't on the villain. The focus yeah. is on the, the people who are trying to uh, survive the situation. And I think I think that's what makes this one a little bit special from the uh, um, removed from the rest of the series. Yeah, I and I I like that this movie does that where it kind of decenters the point of view of the of the villain of the killer. I also think it's interesting that this movie never kind of sets anybody up in in the cast in the original group as like a red herring for like oh who's doing this? Like yeah, I was actually yeah, going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, you're never led to like suspect that like. When, when camp owner, creepy camp owner Steve Christie leaves, that he's actually you know sneaking around in the woods and coming back to kill them. Mm. Well, I was I was wondering. I was going to bring that up because I honestly wasn't sure if they were trying to set up red herrings or not. It it seemed like they they kind of thought they were going to, but they never got, went through with it because Mrs. Voorhees drives a jeep. So does Steve, and. Mm. I, I feel like there's a couple times where they're they're you know dancing towards implying that maybe Steve is doing it, but I honestly can't tell. And the same with um, yeah. I feel like there's some other instances where they are. I don't know if if uh, if it's maybe crazy Ralph. They try to imply maybe for a second might be the person doing it, but they don't really commit mm. to that. But I was thinking that too, cause it's like, it feels like this movie should be full of red herrings, but it's not. Yeah. 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 I really, I don't even, even these sort of like light implications are never deepened or pursued in any way that gives you a chance to even start formulating that suspicion fully before mm. the movie itself has already kind of moved on to the next scene or the next concern. So yeah. it never like, like, you know, we were talking a, a little bit about uh, black Christmas where there is a lot of kind of heavy handed trying to imply that a character may be the killer. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is the polar opposite of that where, 
you know, they might sort of like, there might be coincidences here and there, or somebody leaves and then you see somebody else and, and they get killed. But yeah, it's never really drawn out in any way where it's like, wait, what if Bill's doing it? It's like, no, Bill's definitely not doing it. <laughs> yeah, it really is kind of a, uh, it really is more of an Americanized Giallo movie than it is a uh, a traditional quote unquote, what becomes a traditional slasher movie. Because the, mm. I don't know how familiar you are with, with a, Italian, I sound so fucking douchey saying that. I don't know how familiar you are <laughs> with the it's Italian fun. subgenre of the Giallo <laughs> film, Amanda. But, uh, you have to do the rest of the podcast in that way. Yes. Point. Well, generally what happens in those movies is it's more of a murder mystery. and But it's, uh, like, it's that's clearly where the American slasher came from. Mm. Uh, and it honestly, that's kind of where it goes back to in the 90s. Like, I would argue yeah. that the, the movies of the 90s, like your I Know What You Did Last Summer or your uh, Screams or what have you, mm-hmm. veer more towards Giallo movies because Giallo movies are are essentially just really violent murder mysteries. So you yeah, are, yeah. a lot of times it's a first-person killer where, or if it's not directly first-person, all you see is like a glove holding a razor blade or something when they stab people or whatever. But it's generally <laughs> borne out through the story, who's doing this, the how and the why, and they usually throw some red herrings at you to kind of keep you on or off the scent. And there's usually like a big kind of Scooby-Doo type reveal at the end, which is <laughs> which is what this movie is more than the ones that come after. The ones that come after are more Halloween and more like Texas Chainsaw, whereas this one feels a lot, it feels a lot more European the way they handle things in this film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, there's definitely kind of a, yeah, there's like a, like a portion of of the genre that's more Alfred Hitchcock or Agatha Christie Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than just pure, like, oh yeah, there's just some crazy guy and he's killing people. Right, right. Um, It's it's usually a motive. There's more of a motive. And in this one, there's a motive, but it's like, it's so removed from any, it's not like it the motive isn't really part of the story like once you get to the motive you go oh well that's that's actually pretty interesting that makes a lot of sense but it's not like it's not like uh it turns out that these kids are specifically the counselors who let jason die that kind of thing you know what i mean right right yeah it almost feels like i i wonder if because this movie is so like entrenched in our collective subconsciousness like it, it it's such a pop culture touchstone even today we kind of forget and, and maybe overlook the fact that the motive and the killer really come out of left field in like the fifth act oh yeah big time of yeah. this movie. <laughs> like it's real late in the game where, where she shows up and and ends up explaining what is happening and why she is doing this. I and can't. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. And I, I, I guess I just wonder if like we all sort of accept it and, and, and it seems to sort of work in general. People just sort of like roll with it. But I wonder if a movie like this was made now, if would we all be watching it and be like, get to that point and just go, well, that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I you was going like to say 
bringing her in to solve everything. Like, oh, okay, this is ha- this is why everything's been happening. This is how it's... We're just going to do an 11th hour reveal with all this information we never had before as an audience. Right. I was going to say, the, the, the weird thing about this, if you really look at it, is the... Um, I think a modern version of this movie shows you Jason die at the beginning. Like he, yeah. it shows you the ca- the counselors uh, doing whatever they're doing that causes Jason's death. Each other. Yeah. Doing each other. Yes. Um, which <laughs> gives that you what the mom thinks it is. <laughs> yes, I believe so. Um, which gives you more of like an insight as to maybe why these killings are happening. But if you actually, oh, yeah. if you actually look at how this plays out, the opening scene is in 1958. And if I remember correctly, when the cop, it's the only time they bring it up and in out of context of the ending, if you don't know the ending, you have no idea why this matters. When the cop brings it up, it's either the cop or the truck driver. I can't remember who. He says that there was those killings in 1958 and that boy drowned in 1954 or 1953 or something. So it's not even like the same year that she kills everybody. She like stews on it for a few years, then kills everybody, (laughs) then takes a 25 year break or whatever it is, or or 30 year break or whatever, and then comes back and kills people again. So it's, it's, it's not even like a direct through line. You know, it's very uh, but, strange. Yeah, and there, there's like mentions at different at, at a point where they're like, "Oh yeah," and then there were those unexplained fires. Oh, does he say that like, too? I missed the fire line. Yeah, I think he says something about the fires, and I, I think she even says something about like, "I've I've tried to keep people away from this place" or something like that. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because it's it's less it's less that she's killing people because she's mad that they killed her son and more that she just doesn't want people to be here. Yeah. And there's almost an element of like, if people are there, she slips into this like psycho killer mode. Yeah. (laughs) And starts talking with the voice of her drowned child. But if she keeps everybody away, then she doesn't have to do that. Like she doesn't have to kill them. She can just be alone there with with her memories or you know hallucinations of jason whatever mm-hmm. you want to say i'm shocked that in the age that we live in no one has jumped on that weird four-year gap between jason drowning and the first killings and made like an fx series out of it oh yeah like <laughs> what's what's the 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 one with sarah paulson right now that's the the nurse oh from yes one the the ratchet nest. ratchet yes yeah Still haven't seen that. Still yeah. want to. I but. yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't heard great things. Did you? Did you watch? Um, speaking of of sending up and and uh, ripping off. Uh, r- ripping off isn't the right word, but sending up the structure <laughs> of this movie. Have you seen American Horror Story nineteen eighty four? No, I know you've told me to, it's and very good. I intend to. Um, I had given up. I was trying to watch like the Roanoke season, and I had kind of fallen off with that one and was determined to finish it before i started another season so yeah the we- there. honestly the thing that made it work so well for me is it's the first one i've watched in a while that doesn't just completely nosedive ha- after the halfway point because that's generally what happens yeah. in that show yeah which is such a bummer because i always like the first half of whatever season i watch and then it hits that midpoint 
and things take a turn and I'm just like, well, that was nice. I'm out now. Was is the Roanoke one the one where it's it's set up like a a, a Discovery Channel show? Yes. Yeah, the first half of that is so cool. The way that they do that that yep. stri- is awesome. And then I felt the same way where it was the second half. It just turns into like people screaming and getting tortured and stabbed and stuff. And I kind of yep. lost me. Yep. Um, <laughs> this has been seven-year-old American horror story spoilers with Clay and Amanda. <laughs> apparently you don't listen to the Batman show because most of the Batman <laughs> show we do is Sean and I talking about an episode of the cartoon for about 10 minutes and then 25 minutes of talking about literally anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Batman the Animated Series episodes were pretty short, right? That's true. So, they were only half an hour. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing to talk about that's that's a, a point of uh, advancement for the genre, let's put it that way, I guess, is Ooh. the special effects and how gory this movie is, which we both, we were watching it with some friends last night, and kind of everybody... Um, reacted the same way which was it's gory but a lot of stuff actually happens off screen yeah more than i yeah, remembered the, the gore is like this is a weird way to describe it but it's like static mm. so you see you know like i think it's it's brenda gets thrown through the her body gets thrown through the window and she's clearly been like beaten and, and bloody and yeah she's you dead. don't even see her die yeah yeah, but you don't see her die, and like a lot of you know, you you get a, a throat cut here and there, or somebody stabbed in the gut, but you don't. It's sort of like it's not until somebody else finds their body later that they're kind of gored up, and it's yeah, yeah this weird like you don't see it in process; you only see the end result. Yeah, it's actually kind of nice. I think again, the way it differs from the later movies is the later movies turn into um, let's see how interesting we can find a way to kill somebody and show all of it. Yeah. And this one has, <laughs> it's really got, well, Annie gets her throat cut open pretty pretty graphically, and but it's really got one, like, showpiece, which is the, uh, well, I guess technically two. It's got three showpieces. The one where Annie gets her, th- <laughs> Annie gets her throat cut. Mm-hmm. Um, Mrs. Voorhees gets her head cut off, but that's yes. all hat. No, everybody's seen that before. Right. Uh, but the 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 big the big one is Kevin Bacon getting the arrow through his neck from under the bed, oh, which it's is so fantastic. Great. Yeah, it's 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 one of my. I think it's actually one of my favorite kills. Like, oh, it's great! Yeah, in one of these sort of like movies from this era and this genre, because it's very very simple, but it works really really well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a later one where they, they kind of rip it off and, and do something very similar again. But uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. I think what this movie does differently and it actually works is it uses instead of instead of uh, making it a um, highlight reel of ways to kill people, it uses the dead, the people who have been killed as shock points. So you don't see how Ned dies, but what you do see, and I think the reveals of these these dead people are generally really, really good. Mm-hmm. You do see um, Kevin Bacon and Marcy start making out on the bunk bed, bottom bunk bed, and then they kind of pan up and you see Ned's on the top bunk with his throat cut. 
but they yeah. don't know he's there. So you get that little Alfred Hitchcock suspense stuff going. Um, they do a great one later where she goes outside and closes the door. And one of the guys is like pinned to the door with arrows, yeah. like bow and arrow arrows. Yep. Like they use it. They use it in that way as sort of uh, it's I guess it's kind of like a jump scare, but it's really not. But they use it in a more effective way, I think, to to build and release tension than just like this is the part where uh, Jason cuts the guy who's doing a handstand in half dick first. <laughs> yeah, I I appreciate that in this movie, it's not like increasingly complex Rube Goldberg's machine style kills. Right, right. Like, um, yeah, and, and I'm trying to think of like, because they're not exactly used as jump scares. They're more used as like, I don't want to say set pieces, but I can't think of a better term. They're, mm. they're like, but yeah, like the the horror, the horror is in what has happened to them, not like just watching gore. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to describe. But I mean, like one thing I do, I do love in that like scene you mentioned where. Ned's body is on the top bunk while Kevin Bacon and Marcy are getting intimate on the bottom bunk. Mm-hmm. Once Marcy leaves to go to the bathroom and Kevin Bacon is kind of getting comfortable and he's sort of lying there, something drips on his face. Yeah. Yeah. And you think as the audience that he's going to stand up and discover Ned and freak out and then he's going to get killed. Mm-hmm. And instead it's just like, boop. Yeah, arrow, arrow through the bed. Yeah, I think I think the the the, the biggest skill that these guys uh, displayed in this is um, understanding how to uh, play with the audience in that way, in a way that's uh, that is more sophisticated than what it becomes later on, where it just turns into screaming and running. And this is the part where we cut somebody's head off right in full camera. I think they are a bit more yeah. inventive with the way they handle things, which I'm sure is. Um, not just filmmaking technique as much as it's probably budgetary, where I'm sure they probably didn't have the money to do all that yeah. stuff they, they do later. <laughs> That's a good point. But even um, at the end... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you, you can go ahead. I was going to say, even at the end, um, despite it being a clear, let's say, um, influence from from Carrie they push it as far as they possibly can before they have Jason jump up out of the water and they grab her. Like the sun is out, the cops are showing up, the music is swelling, like the, mm-hmm. the happy music is swelling. And they, uh, I, I, saw, I, I saw someone mention that they even frame the shot as though by, they even frame the shot leaving enough room at the top of the frame for where the credits would go. So, like, you subliminally oh. as- assume that the credits are going to roll now. Oh, wow. And, you know, they, they push it as far as they can, and then they hit you with that final jump scare thing, which I think um, – how, how, how do you feel uh, How do you th- feel about that one compared to, uh, compared to Carrie? So, I, I think the one in Carrie is more successful for a couple reasons. Mm-hmm. 
hard, part of it being, I think that actress is a stronger actress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think there's a, there's a certain inner logic to the movie Carrie that, you know, like it or dislike it, there's a certain style throughout that movie where that weird ending scene with the kind of Carrie's version of the final girl walking up to the ruins of the house and laying down the flowers in this sort of like kind of floaty soft focus shot it's it feels weird but it it goes along with some of the earlier weirdness you see throughout the movie Mm -hmm. whereas in friday the 13th it, it i'm not saying i dislike it in this movie but it definitely feels weird when it makes that switch, when it makes that switch to her kind of lounging in in the canoe in the middle of the lake. Mm. Like, it's just tonally very different than the rest of the movie. And, like, the music's very different than the rest of the movie. And, I mean, it's definitely still, it still gets you. Like, if, if, you're, if you're not expecting it, it definitely still works on you that way. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, Jason, the 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 kid who is who is Jason, just looks grotesque and awesome. Yes, yeah. <laughs> when he yeah. jumps out of the water, so yeah. And pros I, and cons. I would also say that it's really, it's really the only real jump scare in the movie because I I would define I don't know how you would define a jump scare, but I would define a jump scare as. A sequence like that where something unexpected breaks a silence that isn't then followed by more action. It's usually just a sting that's not followed mm. by action that comes after it. It usually that, that usually kind of dials back down. So it's like that thing where it's like someone taps somebody on the shoulder and they go, Blah! and then usually yeah. after that they go, oh, <laughs> it's just you. And then they talk oh, yeah. for a while. Or yeah, yeah. the mirror gag where you close the mirror and you see somebody behind you and you go, ah! and then yeah. you turn around and there's <laughs> nobody there. So then the energy goes back down. It's just a, it's just a um, artificial adrenaline shot to make sure you're still awake. Whereas yeah. most of the stuff they do in this movie is in service of anything that, that comes close to a jump scare is generally in service of ratcheting up the tension or the action of the scene, which is, which I think is, is, is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I actually think that this movie in a lot of ways avoids some of, some of the, the ways they could have done more jump scares. They choose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm thinking specifically uh, the scene with the snake in the cabin. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, you see that snake when you're watching it way before she does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they could have very easily reversed that and had her, you know, I forget exactly what she's doing. If she's like getting changed or like standing there brushing her hair or something, she could have been, you know, sitting brushing her hair and the snake could have slithered across her lap and we right. could have gotten this kind of cheap jump scare out of it. Right. And right. they choose not to do that. And even with, um, with Ralph in the pantry, um when crazy when crazy ralph shows up in the pantry it's Mm -hmm. immediately after the cop comes by and says look crazy ralph is somewhere around here (laughs) right yeah don't don't worry about him send him home his wife is worried (laughs) yeah i didn't know he was married uh, i love that detail god bless that woman (laughs) 
I love it. He was just there looking for a can of chili or something. He was probably hungry. Look, he's a messenger of God. <laughs> um, how do you feel about uh, Mrs. Voorhees as a killer at the end when they finally do reveal? Which I, I, I didn't realize how much time you spend with her at the end. In my memory, it was yeah. just like the reveal comes and then it's over fairly quickly. But you get a, a, a decent couple minutes of, of cat and mouse with her. Yeah, which I will I will admit is my least favorite part of the whole movie. Mm. Um, I don't know. It just it feels like it just goes a little long. Like, yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, the I feel like for me anyway. I feel like the the energy that they get from that reveal kind of just like plateaus pretty quickly. Yeah, I wish I wish they had put it closer to the end because I feel like it would have been a better crescendo. Um, a better use of that sort of reveal but mm. uh i don't know I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm very conflicted um with the mrs Voorhees as killer oh that's right yeah you you wanted to talk about this so please please go into I, it i i did i did because i i on the one hand i kind of love that it is this like sort of middle-aged average woman mm-hmm you know, like you, you, you walk by that lady on the street, you are behind her in the checkout line at the grocery store. You know, she just looks like your friend's mom from middle school. Right, right. Yeah. Like, that's pretty much it. It's it's she's she's very unassuming. And I love I kind of love that. Like, I kind of love that it's this like, middle aged woman who is given this role as this sort of terrifying extremely physical extremely dangerous killer i think that's really really rare in these movies that are so dominated by these like kind of shrouded or deformed or masked male figures Mm. and she was a uh she was known primarily betsy palmer was known primarily as as more of like a girl's neck girl next door type of actress in fairly uh uh fairly light movies i think uh to the point so much so that um, when oh the movie ca- this movie came out, Gene Siskel in his review was so angry at her for taking a role like this in a movie like this that he actually published her home address and encouraged people to write her letters and telling her how how much they also disagreed with her choice. He doxed wow. her basically. Fuck you, Gene Siskel. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah, but so so for all the reasons that Gene Siskel hates it, I like it. Right. However, on a practical level, how is it possible? Like, I I just don't buy that this woman who who doesn't seem like she's <laughs> she doesn't seem like she's actually like a triathlete or something. Right. Right. How is she physically capable of doing? all of this Mm. and i i just i know you you can kind of like oh well you know when people are under intense emotions and the hormones in the human body can do blah 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 you know with women can lift cars off of their children but i just can't like suspend my questioning of it enough to 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 kind of get beyond it like Mm. 
I can justify it in a couple ways, like with um, Steve Christie, because he knows her. He, he She even talks about how she's known his family for all this time. And, you know, you see him in the rain at night kind of run into her near near the near the camp down the road. And he says, oh, what are you doing out here? And he kind mm-hmm. of walks up to her because he's familiar with her. So he's not expecting it. So she's able to stab him like that one makes sense. But in some of the other ones, like with Annie, who is this like young, healthy, she's been like backpacking her way <laughs> to this place and she can't outrun this like 55 year old woman in the woods. Right. Well, to be fair, if I had to play devil's advocate, Annie Please is do. new to the area, whereas Mrs. Uh, Voorhees clearly knows those woods better. So maybe she just knew the shortcut. Yeah. Home home turf advantage, I guess. That, that does not explain throwing uh, <laughs> yes. Brenda's <laughs> lifeless body through it entirely through a window on by herself. Yes. Though. Yes, as 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 svelte as Brenda is, that is still quite a feat for even a very, very strong person. Yes, yes, yeah. It's uh, so I don't know. There's just uh, there's a lot of like if you if you look at it too closely, and you take it all too seriously, you can start poking holes in a lot of her kills and like oh, sure, how yeah. does she kill so and so and then get back down to her jeep to drive it up the road that quickly mm-hmm. yeah like well, i don't I, know i the yeah. uh it uh one of the questions it brings up for me well first of all if you think that's bad wait till we get to part two which opens with <laughs> um have you have you seen part two? Oh god a long time ago yeah well i don't think it's gonna be this isn't gonna ruin anything for you to tell you that alice has a very brief cameo at the beginning of part two. Oh, yep yeah um, yep. <laughs> and it, the movie starts with Jason, who we find out to be Jason Voorhees, fully grown and murderous, goes to her house, <laughs> yes. somehow finds out, A, her name, B, where she lives, C, uh-huh. how to maybe get there. Maybe Gene Siskel told him. I know. Apparently, yeah, maybe maybe he did. Uh, and he goes there to kill her <laughs> before the rest of the movie starts then he just goes back to the camp and has to deal with all the other fucking assholes who show up but it's yeah. it's just one of those things where it's like if you think about it for two seconds it's like wait a minute he went to her house yeah it's not like he looked her up on the internet you know it's, or she came back to the camp to try and do some sort of like i'm not gonna let this define me i'm gonna face my fears i'm gonna go there yeah. and i'm gonna tell jason off and i'm gonna say i'm done with this goodbye like then he drowns her again right yeah yeah Yeah, i'm surprised they didn't do something like apparently well we'll get to that story next (laughs) next episode but um clearly i should have written friday the 13th part two (laughs) before i was born yeah i mean it would have been very impressive if you did um Yeah. yeah i i like i like mrs Voorhees for the same reasons that you do um i am just really impressed with how it's so structurally i don't know what the word is it's just like if you're writing a story like this having a character you do not see on screen at all for the entire length of the movie show up yeah and that be your killer just doesn't make any sense like it's any other movie has mrs Voorhees like 
be the person behind the desk at the Seven Eleven they go to on the way there or something or that they right. talk to briefly who tells them she's, not to go to the camp or something or she's the cook at the diner that steve's at that night or something. yeah exactly or you know uh she or even she works there like she is there with everybody else and so you think she's one of the victims until she ends up being the killer that kind of thing it is very yeah, yeah. very rare you will find a killer reveal like this and even more rare that it actually works and doesn't feel like a huge cheat and I can't tell yeah. if it doesn't feel like a cheat because it works or if it doesn't feel like a cheat because this was 40 years ago and it's just <laughs> people are fine with it. Yeah, that was that was kind of my question earlier where it's just like, do we just accept this and gloss over it because this movie is so deeply entrenched in, in the zeitgeist that we don't question it? or Or does that reveal actually work? I can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> Even the fact that she's not, not only is she not a character in the movie up until that point that you see, like, you don't get a mention of her. Um, nope. They don't mention, not even, they don't mention Jason, I don't think, in any real way. Maybe they do in passing, but it's not like they say, yeah. Jason Voorhees, that kid who drowned, you know? Yeah, it's more like, oh yeah, it was a terrible tragedy when that little boy, when that little boy drowned up there. Yeah. And that's the closest you get. There's not even like, oh, as they're cleaning up the cabins, they found an old, you know, 1956 yeah. staff photo. And, oh, who's that? Oh, that's Mrs. Voorhees. Her boy was the one who died. They don't like, go, uh, they don't go, I know what you did last summer route where it's like, turns out <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees is actually the <laughs> mother of someone else who died who is not the one we think is the killer, but is a different person who died, that he's the she is the mother of that person who is now mad about that. And it's like, what? But it's interesting because I know what you did last summer is actually kind of the closest thing to a more modern equivalent of this reveal. Mm, yeah, it is. Yeah. Where it is somebody who's like... But even there, lost. even there though, when we watched that movie, the thing that killed me is that that movie is full of red herrings, and I think that's why, probably why they don't do red herrings, because I think it would be a cheat if they did. That mm-hmm. movie is full of red herrings, and the r- answer to the question, because that movie is very much about the about the question of who is doing the killing, the yes. answer to the question is someone who is completely from left field and is a character you have not seen, and therefore I think there it is a cheat, whereas here I think it works miraculously somehow. I th- I think you're right. I think it has a lot to do with like setting up the question or the the the, cons- the thing you want your audience to be mostly concerned with. Yeah. And in this movie, the thing you want you the thing the audience is most concerned about when they watch this movie is that these characters who you have been watching, who you are, you know, supposedly rooting for, are getting picked off one by one and they don't realize it. Yep. And so your main concern is just for somebody to realize what's happening and and for them to get out of there before they get killed. Yeah. It's not at no point does anybody say we need to figure out who's doing this. It's just exactly. about trying not to get killed. <laughs> right. And so you might as an audience member, you might be curious as you watch this if you don't know what's going what's happening. Mhm. 
Um, if you live in some sort of vacuum where you had never encountered Friday the 13th before and you're only seeing it for the first time, you might be curious as to who is killing these kids and why. But your central focus is on them trying to survive. Yes. Whereas, yeah, yeah, I know what you did last summer is 100% them all saying, well, we have to investigate. And, you know, the police aren't going to help us and we can't go to the police. So we're going to do our own investigation and we're going to look at old newspapers and we're going to go lie to people and interview them and (laughs) ask questions to try and figure out who's leaving these weird things and scaring us and killing us and it's all about figuring out who the killer is before the killer gets you Mm -hmm. which just shifts your focus to that question so when it turns out that you never could have answered the question on your own no matter what that yeah that's what feels like the cheat in that movie yeah yeah and this movie doesn't set you up in that way like that's yeah and i know what you did last summer sets you up to fail (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no matter how ob- observant you are, yes. whereas this movie doesn't do that to you. And you know, I'm 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 interested in, in in talking about this stuff as we go too, because I think what it comes down to is once you start introducing lore to these stories, mm-hmm. then it then the stories end up becoming about exploring the lore, and you kind of lose what makes the movies interesting, like. Halloween just as soon as they started introducing lore to that stuff, the whole series just nosedives for me. Like I could not, I could not give less of a shit about the relationship between Michael and, and, and Laurie or the cult of thorn shit that they come up with in the sixth movie. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) I was going to say, look, it's very simple. Clay. It was the Druids. Yes. Yeah. Nobody knows who they were, (laughs) what they were doing, but their legacy remains hewned in the, Living rock of Michael Myers. Stonehenge, where the demons dwell, where the banshees live and they do live well. Stonehenge, where the man man and the children dance to the pipes of Pan. Um, just to uh to to wrap up, I think we'd be remiss if we if we oh sorry before we get there, I do I'm looking forward to talking about another thing that I. I'm really fascinated by the cops in these movies mm. because it, I was thinking, I was, I said this as we were watching it last night. There's no reason why the cops should show up to that place at all. Cause they come in lights go and there's no reason the cops should show up for like a couple <laughs> weeks. And I mean, it makes me wonder because a running theme in these movies tends to be the cops show up at the end or the cops kind of like brush stuff off, but they happen to be there at the end after everybody gets killed. And they're like, oh, it's uh, it's just a shame what happened up at Crystal Lake again. I have this theory. My own headcanon is that the cops know about it and are in on it. And Jason is some sort of like mystical manifestation. Like he's 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 the cost of whatever <laughs> spell the cops cast to protect the, the town of Crystal Lake or whatever. But we can look into that more as we go. <laughs> okay, so so the the kids the the kids who the counselors are like sacrificial lambs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like it happens once every couple years, and then when it happens, the cops are like, "Shit, there's nothing we can do. This is this is when Jason. This is the culling that Jason must do." <laughs> now that's a sequel. They should do that. I would yeah. love that. See that sequel. All right. No, that, that um, actually that sounds kind of interesting. 
But yeah, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the music. It's obviously yes. iconic um, in its own right. Not just I, I think it it's surpa- even though it is very uh, a derivative of Psycho, it does create its own. Um, it, it moves past that by by uh, Harry Harry Medfordini creating the ma 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 thing, which <laughs> is arguably a lift from Jaws to some extent because it's the same kind of exact same kind of motif thing that they do in Jaws with the dun 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 dun. But I think it is its own thing, and it is instantly identifiable as from this series and and from this character in a way that uh probably is only really matched by the halloween theme honestly yeah yeah i mean they're both just so they're very iconic they're immediately like you said immediately recognizable like when you hear that sound you know exactly kind of like what's about to happen what you're in for it it really it can play on you mentally, mm. which, which I think is really effective. It's also the only one that you can like do in real life and freak people out. Like if you were if you were in the <laughs> woods and you started going, kee, 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 ma, 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 that would probably freak people out in a way that if you were in the woods and you started going, do, 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 probably wouldn't. So Clay, I, I, I get the feeling you've tried both of these. Yes. Just hanging out in the woods, waiting for hikers to go by, testing them out. <laughs> that's what I do in that's what I do in New Hampshire when when everybody else is playing board <laughs> games. I go and stand on the ski trail and do that and see what happens. I believe that I, I can one hundred percent see that. Um, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to ask this for the rest of the movies because they are so uh, low, <laughs> lowly rated. But um, for this one, being being the the original, do you think this deserves to be on the rotten horror list, the the uh, two hundred greatest uh, move, horror movies list? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I just uh, like quality aside, it's just been such an influential film, and it's it, it the like the longevity of it is crazy. I I don't understand. It just, <laughs> if you don't want to put it in your top 10, I agree. If you don't want to put it in your top 50, okay, I can work with that. Mm-hmm. You don't even really want it in your top 100? Yeah, I'd probably say there's 100 horror movies somewhere out there that are better than this one. Mm. But if you're going to have a list that goes up to 200 and covers literally all time, <laughs> then I think this one should be somewhere on it. Yeah, I you know, I love American Psycho. American Psycho is number 200 on this list. I think American Psycho should be switched out for Friday the 13th based on Zeitgeist alone. Yeah. It's like it should be the one where it's like, uh, okay, we're going to make cuz it's American Psycho has the lowest Rotten Tomatoes score on the list, which is 70. Nothing goes hmm. as far as I know as I'm scrolling through. It looks like there's nothing below 70 on the list. And I think you need to make an exception for night, for Friday the 13th just just for the cultural impact. Yeah, especially where, like, as, as we discussed in our episode about American Psycho, 
you can argue whether or not that movie even belongs on the list, regardless of how good it is, just right. because genre-wise, is it really a horror movie? That's, that's in my opinion, very much an open question. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, you don't have like, I don't know. You <laughs> just think put putting a movie that's even it's even questionable about whether or not it's even a horror movie on the horror movie list and leaving Friday the Thirteenth off. Mm. J- it just seems wrong. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I was think trying to think of a way. What's the final thing we can talk about on on this series? And uh, mm. the other show that I listened to that has covered these rates them on a scale of one to 13, which is nice, but I don't want to rip that off. Hmm. I think I would like to rate the, the protagonists, the, the final girl scale. I don't know what, I don't know what one would be, but I feel like, let's say, let's go, let's say it's a one to 10 scale. One being, um, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to think of something that would find a, a shitty movie to, to plug in there, but 10 being Laurie Strode. Okay. Where would you put the, uh, the final girl or protagonist on the list on, on that scale? Huh? Well, I mean, she's no Laurie. Mm-hmm. So she's not getting a 10. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I'd probably give her like, like a, like a six or a seven. Yeah. I think like she, she's pretty. Or maybe, maybe instead of doing an arbitrary one to thir- one to, to Laurie Strode list, maybe we should just do list, place them uh, in order of the, the franchise. So like f- final girl slash protagonist, uh, worst to best or something, best to worst or something like that. But, um, ah, uh, gotcha. We yeah, we need, we need some comparison fodder yeah. before we can do that. So okay, let's stick to the one to Lori for right now, and then yeah. when it's over, we'll go back and we'll we'll do a uh, comparative thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say she's you know if if we're saying five is average, mm-hmm. <laughs> like middling, I'd say she's she's slightly above average. I think she does make some pretty smart choices. She also makes some less smart choices. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. But she does do a pretty good job of defending herself. Um, she kind of wises up to what's happening real fast. Um, mm, yeah. Like, there's even a moment where I think she's talking to Bill and she says, why don't we just get out of here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, why don't we just get in the car and get out of here? I don't like this. We, we should just go. Yep. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you, you picked up pretty quickly that this is not a good place to be. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I mean, ultimately she does fight a middle-aged woman on the beach and uh rest a machete away from her and chop her entire head off in one swing yeah it's got to count for something it's not easy it didn't even didn't even work for the person that killed mary queen of scots i don't think (laughs) and that guy did that for a living yeah yeah that was his job yeah Uh, uh what about you where would you put her i think i think your reasoning has bumped it up a little bit for me because I was thinking I didn't think that she I think like character wise I think she's above average but as far mm. as like dealing with the situation I didn't think she was that impressive however she does she does handle it about as well as a, a person who is very much not expecting this to happen could handle it yeah <laughs> she gets some good <laughs> shots in 
Um, I, I feel like she she's kind of ineffectual uh, generally, though, and I, I think it's part of it is due to the fact that you don't really know that she's the main character, so she doesn't really stand out. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's she's very flat as a character. She doesn't have any strong kind of personality traits that really shine through for so much of the movie. So mm-hmm. it is sort of like, yeah, yeah, she is kind of just there. Yeah, I I would say she's probably right in the middle. Yeah, I, I think I would probably say five, a five for her. Okay. Yeah. Should one should one be Billy from Society? <laughs> is he like the worst protagonist yes. we've come across so far in one of he's, these? He's the worst final girl in all movies. Yeah. Oh, God, just sweaty and incoherent. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll think I'll think of a good one for for the one spot, but okay. Um, I think that's going to do it for our coverage of the original Friday the Thirteenth, the first in our twelve or possibly thirteen part series talking about the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Uh, I'm looking very I'm very much looking forward to watching part two. I'm very much looking forward to watching part three because you and I are going to watch COVID be damned are going to yeah. watch it in three D <laughs> at my house, which I'm very excited about. I am so I will show up in a full hazmat suit. I will test beforehand. <laughs> we will make it happen. I, I have to see this marvel of engineering happen. Excellent. Excellent. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys very much for being patrons of the show. We couldn't do this stuff without you. Very much appreciated. And uh, we will see you next time with Friday the 13th, part two. Bye, everyone. Bye.